according to Mark, the first chapter. Jesus understanding and, and how we know that the brain is an organ and it's controlled by enzymes and chemicals and it can become diseased, but it can be treated, you know, with the right drugs medically. There's no demons. In fact, we throw medicine at everything. Even though science shows that sometimes other remedies like sunlight and exercise and community can be just as effective. Not always, but sometimes. And I certainly think God uses and works through medications and medical science, and I'm not saying we should abandon any of that, but it wouldn't hurt to take the demons just a wee bit more seriously. High cholesterol, diabetes, cancer, we're just told those are our lifestyle choices, right? We get blamed for it. It's our own fault, the magazines tell us. If nothing else, we ought to get control of our stress. You should just get control of your stress. Since stress causes aging and it causes immune disorders and then there's those free radicals floating around and heart disease and ulcers and allergies and just about every disciple went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing the man and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. I don't know about you, but maybe you're like me, and when you picture demons, you think about that poor girl Carrie with her head spinning around in the movie. Or the way she levitates off of her bed. And we laugh uncomfortably. But demons, you know, we say, they don't exist. That's Hollywood, right? But demons do exist if the Bible's to be believed. Apparently, Jesus never questioned their reality. He confronted them readily. And every once in a while, we confront, I think, a depth of evil in the otherwise sane. And it's hard to come up with any other explanation. And I think about, for example, a Kansas serial killer from Wichita who was raised in a perfectly normal home with perfectly normal siblings and yet talks about how Factor X came into his life and cohabited his soul and his brain. Most demons, I think, are far less creepy but equally troublesome. I know I sometimes, I like to think I'm acting out of character. Who hasn't said something callous or done something callous and thought, okay, but gosh, that's not who I really am. 
In Jesus' day, these demons are described as casting someone, causing them to hurl themselves into a fire, you know, like onto the burning coals, which would be terrible, or causing somebody to foam at the mouth, or causing a man to live in a cemetery amid the tombs like a wild animal cut off from his community, or maybe causing somebody to jump off of a cliff. But in other ways, demons are more subtle. They can damage our psyche and our bodies and our relationships and our ability to be productive or loving or happy. As Stephen McClellan once put it, the unclean spirit, the demon, always seeks to destroy life. And most days, you know, they seem to keep a low profile. We can carry our demons around and nobody will notice. They're really good at blending in. In fact, so much so that it's difficult to see the unclean spirit, he says, as something separate from this man who has the unclean spirit. And the pronouns in the Gospel of Mark get all mixed up. It's he, the unclean spirit, and it's he, the man, and they're indistinguishable. And yet, they're separate. They're not one and the same. And the man needs help. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, in seminary, one of the things we have to do is a semester of what we call CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. And um, people who are chaplains have to subject themselves to this multiple times. I only had to do it once. And it's basically like group therapy. And you meet somewhere, usually at night or something, and you talk about your feelings, and you confess what you're struggling with, and you deconstruct all your narratives about yourself and who you are. And I call it seminary hazing. <laughs> One night at CPE, I had a very mixed group. I was in Chicago. We had people from all different denominations and backgrounds. And there was a woman from Jamaica, and she was sitting right over here, and she looked at me after I had shared something, and she said... And I cannot do her accent, but you can imagine it. Your trouble is you have a demon. And I know my jaw just dropped. You know, who says that to you, right? People may think it all the time, but they don't usually just put it right out there. And then she went on, um, mm -hmm. and I know because I used to have one too, and you need to get rid of that thing. And I was really stunned and I was offended. And it sounded, I don't know, very uncomplimentary to me. I was pretty sure it was not complimentary. And it's not every day you get accused of having a demon. And I kept waiting in vain for some other member of the group to say, oh, don't say that. That's not right. But none of them did. And then she talked about how unhappy her life had been. She had had this deep sadness and... Um, she said her life, she had had this life with this demon, and it had just tormented her. And she said, I cried all the time, and I, I didn't feel any joy. And what she sounded like to me, she was describing as what low self-esteem and anxiety and depression and all these other things, we put labels on that. And then her friends told her she had a demon. And then they went to a movie theater together. And while they were at the movie theater, they told her that they had prayed for the demon to come out of her. And then she said, I started to feel sick to my stomach and really nauseated. And, and so she left the, the theater and went into the restroom. And she said, and there it left me. She said, I just vomited it right out onto the floor. And she said, you know what demons look like? Black slime. 
And she said, I don't have a demon anymore. I'm free and I'm happy and my life is very good. And then she said, I think you have more than one. And it made me mad, but I think she's right. <laughs> I'm sure I have more than one. I can be insecure and I can be perfectionistic and I can be driven by a lot of things and I have a demon that definitely comes out in the winter time and then retreats when the sun shines. But I discounted her words and her experience. I did, you know, I immediately like wrote it off as sort of odd and simple-minded and unsophisticated and superstitious. We tend to discount the first century words of Mark and his experiences too. We think that Jesus and the disciples were just so simple-minded and superstitious, and yeah, they believed that stuff back then, but we know better, right? Even though we say we believe that Jesus embodies the wisdom of God, we pride ourselves on our scientific knowledge, and our everything else can be attributed to stress. And so, in other words, all diseases are somehow our fault. If somebody's foaming at the mouth, we say, well, they're poisoned or they have epilepsy. And if they fall in a fire, well, they have a brain-induced seizure. And that may be right. And if somebody's speaking bizarrely or acting out of character, well, we might say they are bipolar or have schizophrenia or something else. But there's always a label. There's always a label. And the implication is always that there's something deeply innately wrong with us. I think there was more humanity and grace, maybe, in the approach that Jesus took in that first century world. We talk about people being broken. But Jesus' neighbors would tell us that the individual is, in essence, just fine. Our first century brothers and sisters and siblings would tell us, you know, that, yeah, it's not you that are the problem. You're not broken. You're just fine. The trouble is coming from something else, something external to yourself. It's not your true innate character, or you're not just fundamentally wrong. They would say there was something in our lives that we had no power over, and it was seeking to destroy our lives that the demon is trying to cause us to appear less than we really are, to do things that are contrary to our own best life and interest. Maybe we eat too much, or we drink too much, or we exercise too much, or we work too much, or we're driven in some other way, and there's something that kind of takes over our lives, and it will resist being expelled. So we need help. I mean, chances are we've tried, right? I don't know about you, I've tried to be stress-free, tried to be free and perfect from all of these influences and things, but I can't do it on my own, and nobody can do it on their own. And what the people of Capernaum really realized was Jesus is the one who can rescue us. Even the demons know that. The Spirit knows who Jesus is. It says, what, you know, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. In other times, it calls him the Son of God or the Son of the Most High God. Oh, yeah, the demons know. And 
They know who Jesus is, and they always recognize Jesus, these supernatural beings, and they know that Jesus is holy, and they recognize his teaching. And we're told just then in their synagogue there was a man with an unclean spirit who cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, the demons always resist, but Jesus is about to give them an eviction notice. Jesus says, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, we're told, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice because it's resisting. It doesn't want to stop. It doesn't want to lose control. Comes out. And the man is suddenly fine and whole. Now, most exorcists in Jesus' day, and there were a lot of them. Jesus wasn't the only one who could apparently do this. A lot of exorcists in his day. But they were flashy. They had to, like, work it up more. They had, uh, they had to make uh, threats and do incantations and maybe throw water or blow smoke on somebody. And then they would negotiate with the demon and say, when you come out, we want you to give us a sign that you have left this man. One time Jesus did something kind of like that when he told a bunch of demons, a whole legion of them, to leave a man. And they all entered into a herd of swine and the swine ran off of a cliff. But in this case, it's quieter and simpler and more succinct. Jesus, I'm sorry, yeah, simply speaks with authority. And then he gives the eviction notice. He said, just out with you. Leave him. Leave him. And they resist. But Jesus is possessed of another spirit. Jesus is possessed with another spirit, the spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is greater than all the other spirits. So we don't have anything to be afraid of, ultimately, because Jesus' Spirit trumps all the other spirits in this world. And he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has invaded Satan's domain and has seized control, and now he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. He has come to take back the world, cast out all the evil so that we can live again in freedom. It is about deliverance. We do not deliver ourselves. Jesus delivers us with the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does for us. He never destroys life. He always restores it, makes it whole and perfect. My mother suffered with paranoid schizophrenia most of my childhood life. She eventually took her own life when I was 14 years old. Most people with that terrible disease wind up in a similar fate. It, it's often the case, and it's, it's tragic and heartbreaking. It's horrible to watch somebody who is brilliant and fun and popular and spiritual and lovely just slowly have their life taken away from them incrementally by something that they cannot control and which we really can't explain and don't know a whole lot about. We weren't able to fix her and restore her to wholeness in this life. But I am absolutely certain that God cast out the demon in the life to come. And that she has joy and peace and no more sadness. My life is good now, the woman told me. 
The demon is gone. Amen.